Okay, so here we are back with part two of the podcast, Ask Me Anything. As I said in the previous episode, I decided to break down this topic into two separate episodes because there was a lot to get through and I didn't want to publish one long two-hour episode. If you're starting with this episode, just to say that this is part two of the episode, Ask Me Anything, all of my answers to your questions that you've posed to me. If you haven't started with part one, maybe go back and check out part one first. In this episode, part two, we're going to be uh, running through my answers to your questions about food, living in different parts of Spain, and Spanish culture and history as well. Okay, food. One of my favourite subjects when talking about Spain. Uh, Alex Chapel. Alex, hi. Uh, again, another patron of the podcast. <laughs> your question is really difficult to answer because Alex's question is, what is your hands down favourite Spanish dish? And do you have a favourite restaurant or bar? Oof, what a question. Super difficult. I can't have just one favourite Spanish dish. I'm sorry, Alex. I'm going to have to go for a couple. I love seafood, which is lucky because Spaniards love it too and seafood is everywhere and I'm going to go for one of my favourite dishes is pulpo a la gallega also known as pulpo a feira I'm sure most of you know it and have tried it pulpo a la gallega it's a Galician dish obviously uh, it might not sound much boiled octopus particularly the tentacles which are then sliced and then sprinkled with coarse salt Spanish pimenton like kind of paprika and then drizzled with olive oil super simple absolutely a delicious the other one rabo de toro bull's tail again you might think oh god gross bull's tail it's so delicious it's cooked really really slowly so the meat just falls off the bone it's in a kind of rich gravy a rich sauce common in cordoba in andalusia or that you get it everywhere rich intense deep flavor the meat super tender for a snack, croquetas, come on, who doesn't like croquetas? But good croquetas with a really fresh bechamel sauce. I'm a huge cheese fan, so I love Spanish cheeses. Are difficult to say which one. I suppose I'm just going to go for the, the classic, some nice, strong, chalky manchego cheese with a bit of olive oil. But I like strong cheeses, so I also love cabrales. But in terms of Spanish desserts, puddings, I mean, I've got a sweet tooth. Believe it or not, I'm not a huge fan of churros y chocolate. Occasionally, in the winter, I would say probably my favourite Spanish dessert to eat, because I like creamy desserts, would be natillas, the kind of egg custard dessert. Um, and it's got cinnamon on, and I love cinnamon also. So, But I've got to say, in general, Spanish desserts don't really blow me away. I'm not a big fan of flan or rice pudding. In terms of restaurants, I'm here in Madrid, again, because I love seafood. One of my favourites is one called Ribera Dominio, which is, again, you can tell by the name, a Galician restaurant uh, in the centre of Madrid, near Metro Tribunal. Um, Backstreet kind of restaurant, very basic, lively, great quality food. They do this amazing seafood platter for about 36 euros it's enough for two people to share. So good value, absolutely tonnes of seafood lobster, crab, uh, octopus, I mean all seafood on this big platter. They do really good raciones. They've got fantastic wine, uh, which is, um, I believe, produced by the family who own the restaurant. They've got their wine from up in Galicia and they present you with a bottle of wine that you order there and it's got no label on it. Well, it's got like a little handwritten label. Good value, friendly, lively, not pretentious, 
exactly how I like it. Outside of Madrid, one that Karina and I discovered a couple of years ago on a trip to Malaga was a place called Taberna Garcia, near Plaza de la Merced, if anyone knows Malaga, um, but off a kind of side street along there. Really good Spanish fusion food. It's quite modern, but really good quality, really good value. The owners is a husband and wife team, really friendly. Some of the sweetest people I've ever met. When we go back there, they recognise us because you normally it's a small place and you have to book. And uh, we phone up and we say, oh, we're the couple from Madrid. And they're like, oh, go, yeah, we'll make room for you. Don't you worry. And we go in and they recognize us because we've probably been there at least half a dozen times. And we normally take someone with us. So we've gone with Karina's brother before. We've taken friends there before. And we recommend it to everyone. Really lovely place. Uh, staying in Malaga for your typical kind of fried seafood that you can enjoy right next to the beach on the sea with the sound of the sea and the salt in the air is a place called Andres Maricucci and it's in Malaga but it's not in the centre of Malaga really it's in a kind of neighbourhood along the coast about 15 minutes out of Malaga uh, in a place called uh, Pedregalejo and uh, yeah it's just a very typical you know seafood restaurant right on the beachside paper tablecloths lots of noise and commotion great value really fun place to go and eat seafood and then one of the most memorable places for me as well in the north of Spain we've got friends who live in Vigo and they took us to one of their favorites and it's called Restaurante a Pedra Bogavante in Vigo and it's near the port and in fact it's just next door to the Mercado da Pedra and there are a couple of restaurants in that kind of area and it's a kind of place where they sell fresh seafood out in the street or next to the market and the, the restaurant's right there and it's called Restaurante a Pedra Bogavante had some amazing seafood there especially these vieiras which are like these beautiful scallops they're kind of like a orangey pink colour Kimberly Lemoy uh, another wedding Spain patron thank you Kimberly asks what's the one food from England you can't get in Spain and do you really miss it well, hmm. The kind of bacon that you get in the UK. I mean, I don't eat a lot of bacon, but occasionally I think, oh, I could really murder a bacon sandwich with a bit of tomato ketchup or brown sauce that we get in the UK. And the bacon in Spain is all kind of thin, streaky bacon, quite fatty. I'm not keen on it. It burns really quickly because it's basically nearly all fat. I like this back bacon and preferably smoked as well um you can't find that very commonly in spain some places but not really i miss i mean i would i wouldn't say i miss it but it's something that i would appreciate if it was available more cheddar cheese i love cheddar but there are so many great spanish cheeses i don't say i wouldn't say i really missed it for some recipes like a good macaroni cheese although you can get it now in quite a lot of places it's not quite as good as back home because it doesn't have that really strong taste to it the thing that i miss really and i wouldn't say it's like a type of food per se what I do miss living in Spain living in Madrid is the availability of good quality takeaway sandwiches now I know that's going to sound really British of me but what I do miss there are a few chains back in the UK which offer decent quality bocadillos baguettes sandwiches and you know sometimes when you're in a hurry around the city and it's lunchtime and you know I've talked about this before sitting down for a kind of big cooked heavy lunch isn't really my thing still now and sometimes when I'm out and about around the city I just like to grab something to take away a sandwich and eat while I'm walking or just go and sit on a bench and eat satiate my appetite with something quick and easy and I've got to say that's pretty difficult to do in Spain and if you want a quick snack you've got to go 
into a bar, order a sandwich, sit down, wait for the bill. And the other thing is like, you know, supermarket sandwiches here, which in the UK, okay, they're not they're not great supermarket sandwiches, although a bit of a shout out to Marks and Spencers, they're not bad. Takeaway sandwiches in in Spain in the supermarkets, they're just kind of cottoning on to the idea. But they're really bad. They're really kind of slimy, not very good quality and really boring combinations. My criticism would be is they're like really basic. You go into your average bar, you order a bocadillo and it's just like quite a dry, crusty baguette with some cheese in it. No butter, no mayonnaise, nothing else at all. No tomato, just just it's cheese on dry bread and that's it. And the same, I'm not keen on eating jamón in sandwiches either. I prefer to eat jamón secas on its own. There's nothing I hate more than biting into a Spanish bocadillo de jamón and it's going to be the cheaper jamón if you go to a bar and then as you bite into it and you pull the baguette away from your mouth there go the shutters on the antique shops downstairs you got these big strings of fat that get kind of caught between your teeth or like it kind of pulls all of the jamón out of the sandwich. Not a fan of that. I'd be interested to hear anyone's feedback on that. Like I said earlier, a nice pint of ale rather than lager all the time. Although, again, that's changing in some places. There are these craft beers, but and there's a bar around the corner from me that serves London Pride on tap. But they, <laughs> but they serve it chilled, you know, almost as cold as the beer. And I'm like, no, it needs to be kind of room temperature. OK, next subject. Other parts of Spain. Ian Wicks says, have you been to Alicante City? If so, how did you like it? My Spanish wife and I are going to move there next year. It seems the perfect mix of everything for us. Yeah, lovely city, Alicante. I've got to say, and I've got to be honest with you, I don't really know it very well at all. I went to a wedding there a couple of years ago, and the wedding wasn't in the city centre, but we did spend the next day, we did spend the morning in Alicante, and basically we just went to the beach and had a little walk around the centre. Um, yeah, I really liked it. I like the big rock that's there right next to the beach. Not sure what that's called. We've got a nice beach, quite uh, a decent-sized city, not too big, great climate. Do you know what I would say? Drop drop the question in the When in Spain Facebook group, because I know we've got members there who live in Alicante or near Alicante who would be able to give you a much better insight than me, I'm afraid. Sadly, I don't have the kind of definitive answer to all of these questions um but from what i saw of it lovely lovely beachside promenade with palm trees nice golden sandy beach i like the kind of dramatic cliffs that you have right next to the beach almost behind the kind of city i didn't really explore much of the old town for me i thought i felt like the old town wasn't very big or but i think i may have just missed it so i'm not quite sure good luck with your move and um, i'm sure you're gonna love it brianna wallace says what area slash city in spain would you recommend for a retiree at an intermediate level of spanish but very plugged into the outside world via the internet wow Brianna, I really appreciate your question. However, it is a huge question. I don't know, because I think I need to know a bit more about you and what you like. Uh, you say which area and city in Spain? It's it's a huge question. Is it important for you to be near the coast or on the coast or near the beach? Or does it not matter? Are you happy to live in the interior of Spain? Do you like the north of Spain compared to the south of Spain? Is the climate a factor? Do you like cooler climates and more greenery? Where, you know, obviously the north of Spain, Galicia, Asturias is going to be, Cantabria is going to be a better option. Or are you a sun worshipper? And do you like hot weather? And do you like the beach? And I would say maybe Valencia or the... The south coast of Spain. I don't. I can't really answer it, Brianna, without more about you. Again, drop it in the Facebook group. Basically, you could live anywhere in Spain with an intermediate level of Spanish. 
And with the internet, you're going to be able to survive perfectly happily and well anywhere in Spain. So really, it's a question of what kind of vibe do you like? Do you like busy? Do you like quiet? Do you like green? Do you like heat? Do you like beach? Do you like mountains? I mean, I've kind of shared my favourite places. You know, there are so many. I, oh, I don't know. Brianna, why not send me a private message with a bit more information? Or alternatively, why not drop a message, a post in the When in Spain Facebook group and put the question there? Because Claire Townsend says, five reasons why I shouldn't buy a house in Galicia. <laughs> I love the rain, so that can't be one of them. Oh, my goodness. Um, I don't think I'm going to be able to convince you whatever I say, Claire. And I, to be honest with you, I, I can't f think of five reasons why you shouldn't. Galicia is magical. Galicia is absolutely beautiful, great food, great wine, nice and laid back, great lifestyle up there, beautiful coastline, beautiful beaches. I can't tell you that I can't think of five reasons why not. I think you've already made up your mind. Um, <laughs> go and do it. I think you're going to be really happy there. There are no reasons why you shouldn't buy a house in Galicia. Or well, certainly not. There are no reasons why you shouldn't buy a house in Galicia compared to anywhere else in Spain. Uh, Josh Mahon, 15, says, Could you do an episode about Alcalá de Henares? Could be studying here as part of my Erasmus year abroad in two years and would be useful to know cost of living, renting, etc. Yeah, good question. Alcalá is lovely. Very pretty, the, the centre, lovely square, home of Cervantes. So it's got all of that history behind it. Really easily accessible uh, on the train to Madrid. So you've got Madrid on your doorsteps. You can dip in and out. Uh, it's a lot quieter than Madrid. Cost of living and renting, cheaper than Madrid, obviously. Um, it depends, again, like what you're looking for. If you're renting a room in a shared apartment, you're probably going to be looking at anywhere between 300 and well, probably less, between 250 and 350 euros per month for your rent. That's if you're sharing with maybe a couple of other people. So to rent a room, to rent an apartment in Alcala, I don't know, is my honest answer. I would suggest having a look on idealista.es, the uh, property website, and you can search areas and you can type in your requirements and it will give you a list of all the properties that are available and it will give you a good idea. I can't really say. Um, it's going to be cheaper than the centre of Madrid. Well, I'm guessing if you go in there for Erasmus, you're probably going to be sharing with people. No more than 400 or or even 350 euros per month for a room in a shared uh, apartment. The cost of living, basically, Josh, is going to be super cheap. Eating out, cheap. <laughs> Menu del Dias, really cheap. Beer, really cheap. Travel around the area. Well, in, in somewhere like Alcala, you're probably going to be able to walk most places. A train into Madrid is going to be, I don't know, five, six euros, something like that. Maybe less. Um, really cheap. I wouldn't worry about that too much. Have a look on Idealista and see what the prices are being quoted on there. Of course, you know, in two years from now, they may have changed. They may have got, they're probably going to have gone up a little bit. William Wesley Preston. Have you ever been to Burgos? And then he says, ¿Crees que los burgaleses son fríos? Como so many people say. Do you think that people from Burgos are cold? Like so many people say. Yeah, I've heard this said a lot as well, actually, that people from Burgos are a bit cold. Um, <laughs> I don't want to offend anyone from Burgos. I've got a friend, actually, whose boyfriend is from Burgos. And they've gone up to meet the parents a few times. And my friend said to me, the parents are a bit cold, <laughs> basically. A bit conservative. Not much of a sense of humour. But surely that can't be the same for everyone from Burgos, No. Beautiful city. I've actually never been. I mean, I've heard it's beautiful. People rave about the cathedral. So it's a really nice, really nice city. I've never been to Burgos. Um, but I have heard it said by many people that they are considered a little bit reserved. 
Could be true. Uh, another question, which I find a bit random, from Jay Bisco says, how far is Burgos from Vizcaya? Okay, well, I looked on Google Maps for you, Jay Visco. It's 125 kilometers to the beginning of Vizcaya, and it's 153 kilometers to the coast of Vizcaya. So I don't know which we were thinking about, but there you have it. 125k, 153k. Maya Blackshaw. Hi, Maya. How are you? She says, I wonder how you found it in Portugal. Was there a crossover that made it understandable or is it too far removed unless a native speaker of one or other language? That's a really good question. And yes, uh, I did touch upon it in the episode about Portugal and Madeira. Now, I would say that written, I have an advanced level of Spanish. Now, when I see Portuguese written, I can pretty much understand it. Most of the words, 70% of the words are almost identical or similar enough to Spanish that I can understand what it's saying, and especially within a, any kind of context. And I'd say probably about 30% of the words are completely different or maybe similar to French or Italian or just completely different. So I would say in terms of reading it, because I was walking around Lisbon, for example, reading little plaques and notices and things like that, and they were in Portuguese and basically I could understand them. The problem is with Portuguese, well not that it's a problem, but a characteristic of the Portuguese language is that the vowel sounds are very different to Spanish vowel sounds. And also the S's, they do this uh, intriguing thing with S's, it's lots of kind of sh and ch sounds with the S's, which does not exist in Spanish, really. Um, so even though it looks similar to Spanish written, when it's spoken, and when it's spoken at speed by a native Portuguese speaker, it's like, wow, can't understand it, really. Uh, when we were there, we communicated in Spanish most of the time and we were understood perfectly OK or a little bit of English sometimes as well. But we realised uh, speaking Spanish, they could understand us perfectly OK. And, and a taxi driver we were talking to one afternoon said to us, Portuganol or something like this, Portuganol. It's like a sort of Spanish-Portuguese hybrid, a bit like uh, Spanglish um, that they speak there. Portuguese people tend to say that they can understand Spanish really quite easily. The other way around, Spanish people say that they can't understand Portuguese speakers very easily. So when it's spoken, it's a different story. Quite interesting, that, isn't it? Considering that really the origins of those two languages all came really from the same seed, as it were. OK, next topic, culture. Rob Green says, what makes modern Spanish youth culture brackets, music, art, fashion, etc. distinctive or unique? And are there any interesting trends at the moment? That's a big question. Youth culture. I'm going to be perfectly honest with you, Rob. In my experience of living here and indeed in my experience of having uh, regular contact with Spanish teenagers through teaching them English, I would say Spanish youth culture in particular, youth culture, isn't really that much different to youth culture in the UK or other countries that I've spent time in, if I'm honest. Art and fashion, not really. I think in terms of fashion, teenagers, Spanish teenagers and Spanish in their 20s, same as anywhere else in the world. They, you know, they have the different tribes. You get the kind of people who love sport and walk around in sportswear all the time. You've got people who are a bit posh, and so they wear shirts and chinos and boat deck shoes a lot of the time. You've got emos and goths and punks and people with piercings and tattoos. Tattoos are big among 20-year-olds, I would say. Tattoos are something that have become really trendy in the last few years, but I think the same in the UK. So I don't think it's uniquely Spanish. Music, possibly, I would say, and I'm not a big fan, I'm afraid, uh, this uh, music genre called reggaeton, reggaeton. But I think that's really big in America also, but 
young Spaniards here are love this musical genre called reggaeton, which has got its origins in reggae, obviously, I think via Jamaica and then via, I can't remember if it's Puerto Rico or the Dominican Republic. It's kind of fusion, very repetitive, kind of sexist lyrics. I hate it, if I'm honest, but you hear it everywhere. And then there's been a spin-off from reggaeton called Trap. Uh, You can tell I'm showing my age, but I'm just like, it's just terrible noise. (laughs) (laughs) But my students love it. But then I've got students who love rock music, who are kind of into, you know, old music from the 60s, 70s and 80s. For me, there isn't anything that uniquely stands out as Spanish youth culture. Not like it maybe would have done back in the 80s with the Morvida after the Franco regime ended, the return to democracy, this big cultural awakening that happened, cultural revolution that happened in the early 80s. Nothing like that... The only thing I would say that Spanish kids, teenagers, certainly ones that I've known from teaching them, just depends on the person. A lot of them are really deeply into video games and spend all day in their bedrooms, um, but they do like to spend time outdoors as well. Football is big, obviously. One thing that surprised me was going to a bullfight maybe two years ago coming up to the first and last time. I didn't like it. I made an episode about it. If you want to know a bit about bullfighting and my reactions to it while watching it, in the flesh, literally, and then exploring a bit of the history behind it. Check out the the previous episode about, I think it's called Art or Blood Sport, bullfighting. Um, The thing that surprised me was how many teenagers and sort of younger people were at the bullfight. I expected it to be full of, you know, middle-aged and elderly people, very traditional. Surprised me at the bullfight at Las Ventas, boring in Madrid, when I went, just how many groups of teenagers there were there, without their parents. As if they'd gone to a kind of, you know, meet up to go and see a film on a Sunday afternoon at the cinema, except they'd gone to meet up and see a bullfight. That really surprised me. I can't think of anything else really distinctive at the moment, any trends that are happening that are really any different to um, any other country in the Western world, I suppose. One thing talking about fashion again, I've noticed that in Madrid and in the north of Spain, when people, when young people meet to go out, They dress quite casually, jeans, T-shirts, a little bit more kind of uh, alternative. Whereas I've noticed in the south of Spain, and really by that I mean Andalusia, is the young Spaniards dress up a lot, you know, trousers, iron shirts, gel in their hair. Uh, Emily Lauer says, do you have a favourite time period of Spanish history that you like to learn the most about? Yes, I do. In fact, I've got two, really. One is I'm fascinated by the Muslim or the Moorish presence on the Spanish peninsula from 7-11. And I suppose really the Umayyad. I love that period of uh, Spanish history. Basically, the Moorish Spain, the Umayyad conquest, if you want to call it that, of the Viscothic Spain and the expansion of the Umayyad Caliphate all across the Iberian Peninsula. I find that, that history fascinating. But what I also love, because I love language and etymology, and again, I did an episode about this, uh, was the kind of impact that um, the Moors had on the Spanish language, architecture, food, all of those kinds of things. Absolutely amazing. So that's one. And my other one would be, as I just touched upon earlier, La Movida Madrileña, 
the Madrid scene, La Movida, uh, the kind of countercultural revolution or movement that took place in Madrid after Franco's death uh, in the early 80s. It started in Madrid. The epicentre in Madrid was the Malasana neighbourhood, I suppose. But, you know, it happened in other parts of Spain, particularly big cities around Spain as well. This kind of hedonistic cultural wave, which gave way to film, theatre, literature, music especially. I find that fascinating, just the kind of huge pendulum swing, the counter-movement against all of those decades of, of Francoist Spain. I find that really, really interesting. And especially in Madrid, because Madrid is a real kind of centre of that. We're nearly to the end. I've got two more left. This is one random question from Brad Howitz, who says, this may sound a bit odd, but I noticed that the washing machine in Spain is almost always in the kitchen. We never have washing machines in the kitchen in the USA, so it always looks a bit strange to me. How about a dryer? Do Spaniards typically use a dryer or do you hang clo- do you hang the clothes to dry? Or maybe the washer has an integrated dryer. I know it may be a bit of a small detail question, but you wanted to hear what's on our mind. And so this was on mine. No, fair enough, Brad. <laughs> Why not? Um, yes, I think for the most part, especially in smaller apartments, the washing machine is in the kitchen because there's nowhere else to put it. You're not going to put it in your lounge. Bathrooms in Spain are pretty small, um, so there's no room in the bathroom. I have occasionally seen in bathrooms the washing machine. Um, but because we're talking about, I'm talking really about apartments in houses, in bigger houses and maybe the bigger apartments. I've seen washing machines in the bathroom and I've seen washing machines out on little kind of balconies next to the kitchen. So past the kitchen, out the door, you have a little area which is kind of outside, uh, like a little mini terrace, I suppose. And I've seen washing machines there as well. But I would say, yeah, for the most part in Madrid apartments, they're pretty small. The washing machines in the kitchen Um, But it's also the same in the UK. It's really, really common everywhere I've ever been in the UK to have your washing machine in the kitchen. And it's kind of, yes. Why is that weird? Because the kitchen should be pretty clean, right? Because that's where you're preparing food and cooking. So it's not like it's a dirty place. So I don't understand why is it strange to have a washing machine in the kitchen. But anyway, that's that's. I think that might be something that's quite common in Europe. It might be just generally a European thing. Us weird Europeans and our crazy washing machine ways. In terms of drying clothes, yeah, I think most people hang them outside on the little balconies or the interior courtyards. Um, yeah, of course, here you can buy washing machines with integrated dryers in, but I don't think anyone really uses them. Um, we just hang it outside because most of the time here you hang it outside, it's dry in 10 minutes. Um, But yeah, (laughs) curious question, Brad. Thank you. I appreciate you asking it. Okay, then. uh, Last, and I think my favourite question, I've saved it to the last. And the question is from Mafuente Bella. What Spanish quotes do you live by? What a great question. I had to really think about this. Uh, What Spanish quotes do you live by? Well, I'm going to refer you to, and I'm going to get a little bit sentimental towards the, the end of the episode here. Um, I don't know if I would say I live by quotes, but maybe there are some quotes that have some impact on me. Yeah. Uh, The first one I'm going to mention is a poem by Antonio Machado. Very famous poem. And it's called El Caminante. The Wanderer, maybe. I like to translate it as not having a destination, the wanderer or the walker. I'm going to read part of it quickly in Spanish and then I'm going to read you in in English. See if you can kind of get where I'm going with this. He says, Caminante son tus huellas, el camino y nada más. Caminante no hay camino, se hace camino al andar. Al andar se hace el camino y al volver la vista atrás. Se ve la senda que nunca se ha de volver a pisar. 
Caminante, no hay camino sino estelas en la mar. I mean, I think it's really beautiful. So it translates as traveller, or I like to think of it more as wanderer. Your footprints are the only path, nothing else. You make your own path as you walk. As you walk, you make your own path. And when you look back, you see the path you will never travel again. Traveller, there is no path, only a ship's wake on the sea. It kind of evokes the idea of we can never really relive the same moments again. And the decisions that we take in our lives, the people we meet, the things that happen to us kind of shape our destiny, I suppose, and I really like it. The other couple of Spanish quotes I like, De musico, poeta y loco, todos tenemos un poco. We all have a little bit of musician, poet and craziness in ourselves. Yeah, we're all a little bit crazy. I, I like that. Another one is Al mal tiempo, buena cara. Literally, bad weather, happy face. Yeah, just basically saying that, you know, hold your head high, even when times get tough. Put a brave face on. Stay positive. Another one is El que no arriesga, no gana. Literally, if you don't take risks, you can't win. Exactly. Moving to Spain is a risk. Moving to Spain was a risk for me. Moving to Spain, upping sticks, leaving your life behind and starting a new life involves lots of risks. But, you know, for me, I would say definitely worth doing. Well worth the risk. Another one which I like, which is seafood related, is Camarón que se duerme se lo lleva la corriente the shrimp that falls asleep is carried by the current basically don't let them don't let life pass you by be proactive don't fall asleep at the wheel and the last one which is drink related which i like um is a beber y a tragar que el mundo se va a acabar here's to drinking and swallowing for the world is going to be finished yeah eat drink and be merry for tomorrow we die yeah enjoy the here and now Don't get bogged down in the past and don't worry too much about what the future is going to bring. Enjoy the moment. Definitely go along with that. And another one that's sort of connected with that, which I like, which people say a lot in Spain, when you go out for drinks with friends and the evening is kind of winding down and you're kind of not sure, shall we have one more? Yeah, let's have one more beer before we go home. And people say, bueno, nos tomamos la penultima. Shall we have the penultimate beer? Now, they don't mean the penultimate beer of that night, but they mean that, you know, it's going to be the last beer of that particular occasion. But sure enough, we will have a beer again in the future. So it's always the penultimate beer. We're always going to have the penultimate beer. It's never the last beer, which I really like. Okay, guys, that is the end of the questions and answers for Ask Me Anything. I'll be back next week with a new episode and uh, we're back to interview-based episodes with guests. I've got some great guests lined up. I'll leave it there just to say, if you do enjoy the When in Spain podcast, please do consider becoming a When in Spain patron and supporting the work uh, that I do in putting the show together. I'll be eternally grateful. You can do that at patreon.com forward slash when in Spain. And until the next time, hasta luego.